You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Sierra Quest 2 Adventure Game is Human. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. He is Thrasher. I appear to be pulsating. We are looking at High Res Adventure number five time zone as part of our monthly exploration chronologically into uh, Sierra Online's adventure games. So we're in 1982 is when this came out, and um, they started releasing games in 81. And in this one, Roberta Williams spent you know about a year designing, and uh, th- this came on six double-sided floppy disks, which was a lot. And sold for $99, which with inflation is over $250 today. And that is that is that that is an egregious amount of money. And yet, I do think that much effort was put into the game. Uh, but the closest thing, so in all of these games we've done so far in the High Res Adventure series, the closest thing we've come to a hint is for this game. Because I found the manual, uh, and the appendix of the manual basically is a is is a map of the discs, disc side A and B, and it tells uh-huh. you what locations and eras are on each side, and that kind of gives you a hint about where you're going to need to go. Sort of. I mean, I, I do like this uh, the box art. Looking on Wikipedia here, you you have the kind of squat looking time machine on top of the the earth although half of the earth is a moon for some reason and you see you know an astronaut a pirate ship a dinosaur all kind cavemen all sorts of things hot air balloon and i among other things this is proof that bigger is not always better true because there are you know, on YouTube, they do these playthroughs of these games, which we do sometimes, because especially doing these old text-based games, if you get one thing wrong in a maze, you're kind of screwed. And it's easier to watch the videos and take notes on those sometimes. And uh, most of the time for these old games we've been talking about, it's maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Time zone, it's over 90 minutes. And that's if you know what you're doing. And I mean, it would take people... I mean, this game has over a thousand rooms you go to. Well, like I, I uh, looked up a walkthrough in preparation for this because I, I always like to have one handy in case I sure. get stuck. Oh man, this walkthrough—it's <laughs> so big and complicated. Right, and I mean, you should right off the bat. It mentions you know you you are chosen for whatever reason to be the savior of mankind, and you have to do stuff all around time to, to prevent the earth from being destroyed. And the time machine, you know, I, I heard this was called time zone. I knew it had to do with the time machine. And I thought, okay, maybe you go to five different places. It's like, no, not only do you do different time periods, but different time periods for each continent. Which is ludicrous. Which I, to an extent, like the one thing, like I can't fault them for their ambition. I like the, I like the fact that, you know, Okay, maybe I have to go to the future in China, then the past in England, then the present in the Amazon, but then the future in China. But the, the I, but the thing is, like, 
th- there's so many places and times you can go to, and each possible combination is important to the overall flow of the game. There's no combination of time and place you don't really have to go to. And yet, when you go to these places, a lot of it's empty rooms. Yeah, there's a lot of wandering around and trying to find the place you actually need to be. And also, a weird scarcity of resources. Like, two yeah. things, like, like for instance, there are several puzzles where you need sticks. There's only three sticks in the whole game, and they're only available in, in like, the year 1 million B.C. Not only that, you know, if you don't happen to have the right item and the right thing, you kind of die, which is something in all Sierra games, but it's especially galling in this where you might be spending hours going through all the different time periods. And I mean, to do a map of all these things would drive someone crazy. Um, before the show was going, I was telling Thrasher a story about Terry Pierce was an 18 year old. They hired who was a good artist to, to do all the artwork. And and I have to say, you know, the art is certainly better than mystery house and it, it shows creativity and uh, the dinosaurs look cute and and, and so forth. Um, he had a mental breakdown from all the pictures he had to do in this game. And at one point was found oh, yeah. wandering outside in the, in the winter with his shirt off, with no shoes on. And when he was done in the game, he just left and didn't talk to anyone at Sierra for over 20 years. Completely broke wow. contact. Yeah. Cause he was, I'm sure they had pretty hard deadlines and not to, to put all that artwork on one person. It, while it can be done an 18 year old, like I know they're trying to save money, but come on. Yeah, which is which is strange, especially given how like because like what Ken and Roberta Williams did all the art for like Mystery House and some of the other earlier games, you could have easily had a team doing this. I mean, that's the thing, and this game did have the first kind of big team working on a game. It had a project manager. It had, um, you know, Roberta designing the thing. It had all kinds of people doing it just because of the the size of it. And uh, I, I was really amused in the manual. It said, please don't call us for hints until like May 1982. So we are uh, <laughs> our, our hint guide. People work in the phone, know enough about the game at that point. I mean, I wonder what the hint guide for this looked like. It must have been quite the tome. Yeah, I was not the able official to hint find... guide. Yeah. Because like, because I know like like last time I found that that uh, self-published hint guide. I was not able to find a similar thing for this game. Uh, although one thing I, one thing that stands out about the manual, most of the manual are blank pages for taking notes on the game, and boy howdy, will you need those pages. I never knew anyone that, that filled out the notes section. Even like Nintendo games like Castlevania had notes in the back, and I'm like, I mean, I know this has passwords, I would just always use scraps of paper thrown around my room, disorganized style. <laughs> uh, I, I did find uh, from the May-June uh, 1982 issue of Computer Gaming World, they did an interview with Roberta Williams on uh-huh. Time Zone, and she uh, mentioned, and this is, you know, basically the third, no, the fourth game she designed, because she did, out of the early game, she did Mystery House, Mission Asteroid, Wizard and the Princess, and then Time Zone. And, uh, she says in this interview, among other things, I am burned out on adventure games. I don't even want to look at another one. Wow. I've written four adventure games, including Time Zone, and I am really tired. Which, I don't blame her. I mean, to not just, as we mentioned, the scope, it's to be commended, but at the same time, it's overkill, and I don't think it was really 
necessary. Um, I mean, this was back before the internet, really. She had to like call up libraries and things to find out information. And even though this is kind of a ridiculous game, a lot of research was done. And um, whether it's where Napoleon lived or all these things. So. Well, something else about this is that we've we've seen in some of the previous high-res adventure games that there are sometimes alternate puzzle solutions and there are things there are things you can do that the game will allow you to do there even if those things don't get you any closer to your ideal ending so there is like some room for creativity this game has no room for creativity as near as i can tell there are no alternate solutions to any problems there uh there are no fun just sort of asides you can do there is just there is just the things you need to do to complete the game and the filler you have to get through to get there to the point where to the point where it did get frustrating like one of the earliest items you get is a saw there are at least five obstacles in this game that you could get through with a saw you only use the saw for one of them sure and you mentioned like there's a few different sticks in the prehistoric area like what and, stick... oh, and a rock that's the only rock you can get is a prehistoric rock which well, you need in the yeah. 1700s to break the window to Ben Franklin's print shop uh, so you can get inside and use a crowbar to open a treasure chest that Ben Franklin has to get a thing. It should also be mentioned, I mean, keep in mind, you know, the artwork was done pretty much by one person, and this was done in 1982, but there's a lot of uh, insensitive <laughs> portrayals of uh, people in Africa and China and, and the like. Yeah, that that was that was rather embarrassing when you get to when you get to uh, China and Africa. There are some unfortunately, at best outdated and at worst, you know, outright racist or orientalist depictions. Well, even Inter you, oh, interestingly enough, the the Australian Aborigines come out looking pretty good. I have to say, yeah, that's not something I was expecting. And time travel, you know, it's a common thing in adventure games, whether it's Stay of the Tentacle. Or, uh, you know, any sorts of Indiana Jones is sort of time travel in a way. You're doing, like, historical research. I mean, it's a good setting for an adventure game. And that you're exploring everything, that right off the bat, you have the machine. They don't have you do a rigmarole to find the machine to open the door or something in the first place. I to think figure out pretty, how it works. To figure out how it works. I think that's pretty smart. It's and actually, as... how it works is elegant. There are yeah. two dials, one for the place and one for the time. Right. And um, I do wonder if Back to the Future was an inspiration of sorts. Quite quite possibly. Maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of Doctor Who, but something something I do like, and I this is a, a marvelous innovation that I like with the time machine is when you program and launch the time machine, you actually get a little bit of animation. There's a row of five lights, and those lights change. Yeah, the machine reminded me a bit of the um, UFO at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Huh. The time machine is kind of squat looking, but you, you always see where it is when you land in these different places. It's it's a good design. You can recognize what it is from the outline. And it, um, I just can't imagine why after doing these nice compact little games oh it's a murder mystery in a house oh you got to rescue a, a princess from an evil wizard in a fantasy land uh, why going let's do every time zone ever with all the continents like well, i think fuck, i think what man? what it is is it, is it is it is that if you don't have a better idea 
it is really easy to get a bigger idea. And so I think this is it. I think this is this is Sierra just doing something big for big sake because they don't have an idea that's better than what they've had before. Sure. And you look at all this stuff. Um, I mean, this game, as far as I could tell, did not sell especially well because of the high price point. And I do like in the manual, it says, if you haven't played other Sierra games, perhaps play them first. This is a difficult one. Which you will need that training, but also <laughs> it's a good sales pitch to get those other but games that, sold. That, That's also true, yeah. And uh, that you can go all around, and then you have to make these lateral connections with the puzzles. It's, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing this being remade or something. Like, perhaps you could do a version of this that was more compact and streamlined and had a better story and uh I, I do find the way that people are, are illustrated in this very charming well they have i mean they're still very simple they're they're certainly an order of magnitude greater than the people we saw in mystery house but like they're, they have just enough personality like cleopatra some effort has been given to give her that classic egyptian hair but also like she has some makeup on like it really communicates a, a certain like feminine feminine beauty or or glamour even though it is really rudimentary, like 8-bit pixels. Yeah, and they had a limited amount of um, colors or combination of colors to play with. But, like, there really is no, but, like, there really is no logic to most of the puzzles, like, and, like, there's, and like, no sort of narrative reason for them. Like, a big, like, one of the things, I mentioned the treasure chest in Ben Franklin's uh, print shop. Well, what's in the treasure chest is a key. Oh, well, that makes sense because of the the whole story about him with the key attached to the kite. But the problem is, what does that key unlock? Well, not anything in colonial America, no. That <laughs> unlocks a door in future Japan. Uh, right. And it's not like that door is like in a museum and it's like an exhibit of things from America. No, it's like a warehouse. It's just a future warehouse that this key from colonial America opens up. It, yeah. It, it, it's things like all the things you have to keep track of, even for an adventure game. This is a lot bigger. does not mean better. I, I appreciate the scope and what they're trying to do, but it really says something that, you know, after this, the next time Sierra would do something that they would brag about how much media it shipped on was uh, Phantasmagoria, which we oh, won't cover yeah. for several years, but... That had seven CD-ROMs and cost uh, $69.99, which was a... I mean, it's still a lot for a computer game. Um, and now you can get it for, what, like $5.99 off of GOG.com? Like well, that's because it's been quite some time. Uh, sure. And, I mean, the only reason that game was that big is because the video compression uh, technology was so poor. But you, all, all the, the, the time zone stuff, this is really notable for its size and, and little else. I don't think this is one people break out and uh, have a lot of fun with. Yeah, in all honesty, I think in any conversation I've had with with old school adventure game fans, I think Time Zone's only been brought up once, and it was only brought up as that game with all the discs. <laughs> Nothing, a particular quality was was brought up in that discussion. Right. Oh, and this does also have one of our first Sierra uh, uh, eating puzzles. When you're in the desert, you have to eat dates to survive. <laughs> Not drink water? Uh, no, I don't believe you drink water in the desert. Mm. I'm just looking over my notes. I only have reference to needing to eat dates. You do not need to drink water in the desert. They'd get to that with Space Quest, though. 
King's Quest V, it had a sort of maze in the desert, didn't it? You know, I think you're right. And that's, you know, that's something else is that as for a game that is ostensibly science fiction, they do keep working into fantasy because like you do meet Robin Hood in Sherwood Forest and and use and use an Aborigines boomerang to kill a black knight, which I actually thought was quite delightful. You kill a lot of people with that boomerang. But then also when you're in the desert in ancient Arabia, there is a cave and you open the cave by saying open sesame, which again, you would only know if you knew Arabian nights, but that also means in the science fiction game, there's magic happening. When they have pretty much that same puzzle in, in space quest five or sorry, King's quest five, but it, it does uh, bring to mind, you know, after, even though see, uh, Roberta Williams said, I don't want to do an adventure game for a long time after this, the very next year, you know, Sierra got a deal with Disney to do a lot of games and she did what would be the final high-res adventure, um, which we'll talk about next time, The Dark Crystal. Mm. And they made two versions of it. But we'll get into that next week. So I got to say, like, did, 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 you, did you have a throw-your-hands-up-in-frustration-and-curse-the-gods puzzle in this when you played? I would say it's just... Early on, you go in the prehistoric times, and or no, actually no, it's you go to ancient China, and you go in the backyard of someone, and you buy a shovel, you go in a backyard, and you dig, and you find jade, and you have to dig again to find more jade just because, and it's like, couldn't you give me both pieces of jade initially? Do I have to keep on digging? What would make me think I'd have to keep on digging? Well, also, there's no re like, why sh would you dig there? Like, no nothing yes. tells you there's right. there's a resource in this yard. And it's like, oh, he's a he's a Chinese person. He must love jade. That's why I can buy the rope and oh. um, and the yeah. other things from him. Yeah, and then like the same thing. The same thing happens in in like Japan. Like the geisha likes rice, or and so yes. you you give her the rice, and it's that you buy it's, from China. Yeah. And it's so weird that they have to point that out. Like if it was just a trade. But when it's NPC-like stereotypical thing, like then that that is so goddamn disappointing. But I, I think also it has to do with they want to do a big game that is spending a long time designing it. Like you kind of go for the stereotypes because it's uh, to keep it from being too much of a time suck. From from making, I mean, because you have two things when you're making these old adventure games, right? You have the puzzles, you have the mazes, and then how do things tie together? And then it's like, what does the uh, game player have to smoke to get in the same wavelength as the people that design this game? Oh, yeah. It's just ludicrous. Ludicrous. And, and I, I do like how they mentioned uh, when this game was uh, planned to be ported to the Atari 400 and 800, which were computers, they weren't really video game systems. This didn't happen, but if that were to happen... This would have been on uh, 10 double-sided diskettes because they had smaller capacity. And in this interview on Computer Gaming World, Roberta Williams mentions just the, the physical time of how long it took to copy one copy of the game onto six double-sided diskettes. And you're having to have a person sit there at compu a computer do it. Like not even, and that's, you're hoping the diskette you're copying to isn't corrupted somehow, which would happen. So the, the puzzle that, that made me throw my hands up, and there, there, there were more, but the one that I just want to stand out is when you're in the fort in Russia, guarded by the Cossacks, 
You just have to wait. And you have to tell the game you're waiting oh, until yes. Catherine the Great comes by. And that yep. like, you you can't know that. No, you have to wait like half a dozen times, too. It's not just... I believe you know, it's the seven times. Oh, oh, my God, seven, right? And, you know, it'd be one thing if the game said, like, oh, lo looks like someone's off in the distance coming towards you, you know, to give you a kind of hint. It doesn't help that the parser in these high-res adventure games sucks, and you, you it can't understand that much of the, the human language uh, noun-verb combinations. But you could have something in there to give you a hint, but no, it's just, wait, 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 and then, oh, Catherine the Great gives you a, a napkin or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah a piece of silk from her shawl piece or whatever. Silk. Yeah. yeah. Seven times! Like, what was the thought process behind that puzzle, and why did nobody say, hey, wait a minute? Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Between us, we're as old as four RPG protagonists. And now Alex will give us a funny anagram for the name of the show. Uh, big ol' knockers. Uh. Join us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. How does Crazy Taxi stack up against, say, Papers, Please? And what's the one 3DO FMV game that gives Mario Party a run for its money? Find out on Hardcore Gaming 101's Top Games, where we objectively, definitively, and scientifically rank the games you nominate for our ever-growing list. HG101's Top Games, twice a week, every week, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Well, I don't think they had quality assurance back then. Sierra was a really small operation. That's not a good excuse, mind you, but... It's like if it made sense to the designer, okay, that's the puzzle. It's going in there. You, you well, didn't. <laughs> well, this this goes to something. So, like, I, I, I as, as a as a game designer, one like I see myself first and foremost as an entertainer. No matter what design goals I have, above all, right. the game I'm designing has to be fun. And for the longest time, I've really felt like something that games need are fun testers. People who, who mm, rather than looking whether sure. things work mechanically or have bugs, th people who just make sure, hey, is this painting? And like that's something that would have solved. There's so many parts in this game that are just frustrating and not entertaining on any level. And the puzzle where you have to wait seven times is one of them. And yet, if you did a version of this game that was cut down that kind of led you by the nose, maybe you couldn't pick where you went in time. The time machine would just malfunction and, and transport you to a, a different time, trying to lead you by the nose a bit. I think you could have something interesting here. I don't know if it'd be a good game, but you could, uh, as Shakespeare said, brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah. And you, could, with, you could do something with this concept. I think that's what makes it so frustrating for, for me. They tackle uh, the entire world through multiple time zones. Yeah, and, and two, two future mm, eras and one outer space era. Of course. And it's like, good on you, but why? Yeah, it, it, needs, it needs a sharper focus. Bigger is not better. One thing I, I did like is the, the, main, the main villain. So the whole reason you're doing this, is there's some ancient aliens who are trying to manipulate and eventually destroy Earth. Um, who you do eventually, you do eventually blow up their planet, which seems like a, a maybe a bit of a step too far using a future Earth's doomsday weapon. <laughs> But uh, I like that the the aliens uh, are uh, the planet uh, Niburon, which I can only assume is a reference to Nibiru, the uh, mythical tenth planet that shows up in a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah, it very well could be. And um, the science fiction stuff is okay, but I do like what you said earlier, Thrasher, about uh, Roberta keeps on throwing in fantasy tropes. 
And you'll see her embrace that wholeheartedly, not just in King's Quest, but in the mixed up Mother Goose, mixed up fairy tale games. She does. That really seems to be her bag. Yeah, I mean, fantasy it. is clearly what she wants to do. And I think mm-hmm. she does have a good sense for it, even yeah. this early in her career. And there is an exception she has later on. She tries to go back to the mystery house Agatha Christie thing with um, the Laura Bow duology, uh, mm. which we'll get to in, in good time. But Time Zone, it's. I wanted to like this game. I thought the idea in the box art is so cool. And yet, when when you do it, like there's not much there. There, there's just so much. It almost like they made a game to be like, let's be the longest game ever, the most expensive game ever, and didn't think to make something especially entertaining around all that. It, it was just frustrated more than anything else. And usually, like maybe I'd be frustrated at the ambition, like oh, this is too simple, or this is a, a ripoff, or something. But th- this is like it's just too big. Just because you can go to a buffet doesn't mean you should. Well, you know, on t- and on top of all that, something else that, that jumped out at me, you, you fight a gladiator in an arena in ancient Rome. As long as you're carrying the spear, you just win that fight. Like, when you fight a gladiator, you mm. don't get to make a choice. The outcome is predetermined based on what's in your inventory at the time. And that's when you should have the, that kind of life or death conflict is when you should have the most choices. Right. It's you want to have some element of action. I know you couldn't really do arcade sequences, so to speak, in, the, in these um, kind of simpler earlier games, but you want something, right? I mean, it's a gladiator fight for Christ's sake. But nope, it just does a simple check in your inventory for item muckety muck, and, uh, and there you go. Yeah, like this, this is. I I I applaud its ambition, but this this is not a good game. No, I I give this one. Uh, I forget. Do we have a rating system in the show? We do this one frequently. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I I feel like it was like adventure. Yes, or adventure. No. Uh, sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. I'll, I'll say adventure. No. It's yeah. historically it's interesting for what they were trying to do, and people only talk about it because of its size. And I think that tells you all you need to know, really. Yeah, but I've, I've, yeah, adventure. No, I've, I've, I've think I've said my piece on on this game. <laughs> Although I would like to see, and and who knows, maybe this will be a fan project I'll do one day. I would love to see a map of all these locations. I would love to see exactly. Oh, how that's a good idea. Sure, a map, and also maybe with the map having arrows showing. By the way, this key in this time period opens this door in this time period. To see those crisscrossing of arrows. <laughs> to show how maddening it is, maybe you could like filter those on or off. But yeah, I mean, I think if you know fans have remade uh, kind of VGA versions of like King's Quest one, two, and three, and the added voice acting, all this great stuff, I wouldn't mind them going even further back to the well and and trying to do a remake of Time Zone. I think you know why not remake something that's not that good? I mean, yeah, I mean, there there is there is potential there for this for this type of game with better technology. You could, you could streamline it. You could maybe give it a bit more personality. I mean, these characters barely speak, if at all. Uh, not to mention the main character is just, you know, you, basically. It's, um... It, it, they kind of bit off more than they could chew, and it's... In in this computer gaming world interview, Roberta... Ah, Roberta Williams compares this to a Cecil B. DeMille epic. Well, sort of. I can I can see that. Right. And as far as the number of rooms, the amount of work it took, the size of the team, 
that makes sense. And um, yeah, just because it's just the Jurassic Park quote, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's not quite the quote in the movie, but you get the idea. So uh, let's go on to what you're playing. I've been playing kind of um, older stuff, been in a retro mood. I've been playing one of my favorites, um, The Lost Vikings. Oh, nice. On, uh, that was Blizzard's first hit, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, it was enough of a hit that they made a sequel to it, yeah. I was playing the Sega Genesis version. That one has some more levels and has unique uh, dialogue, uh, kind of linking the different sections, the different uh, worlds you go to. And I, I just think it's... I think when you play a multiplayer, it's a bit of a dog's breakfast. It's a bit messy because the screen doesn't... If it did split-screen scrolling, that'd be one thing. But for, for when you're playing with two or three people at the same time, it just gets a bit too busy and doesn't quite work. Uh, but but playing single player, I, I just think it, it should be ripped off more. I think it's one of the most genius ways to, to do a kind of action puzzle game where you switch between people with different powers. I mean, you could do that same formula... I don't know, like with the Avengers or, or with um, the Bat family, you know, whoever you wanted, really. You could, you could even do like a Dracula-themed uh, Lost Vikings knockoff where it's like Van Helsing and um, and, and the, the American fella, all these kind of things, right? Trying to solve puzzles and all these things. It's it's just a really fun thing. And, going to, and speaking, you know, of time travel, of time zone, I mean, you go to different time periods, uh the games are difficult and they can be a bit cheap, but I think once you get like in the zone and locked on it, I find something like Lost Vikings um, holds up a bit better or is a bit less forgiving than, say, the Lemmings games, which the Lemmings are, are, are good, but you really have to be on the ball with those games. And uh, Lost Vikings can be a bit forgiving. And I think Lost Vikings 2 kind of overdoes it a bit with the superpowers. Hmm. Did you ever play that second one? No, actually, I can't say that I have, no. So the second one, like, you get, like, a werewolf and a dragon as characters of certain worlds, and they have, and the Vikings have cybernetic enhancements, like jetpacks, and it kind of just overdoes it a bit. I think the simplicity of the original is what works. Um, and weirdly enough, the second one, the Super Nintendo version had pixelated graphics. The version on the PC and PlayStation 1 had kind of claymation graphics with, like, voice acting from people like Jim Cummings. Um, so, so they look quite different, although they play the same. What's uh, something you've been playing? So I say I have not, aside from getting back into Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons, which I think you know we, we covered pretty thoroughly in one of our, our earliest episodes, uh, I did uh, finally get to crack open uh, a board game that I got at a convention a few years ago that I just never had the chance to play, which is uh, Descent Journeys into Dark, the second edition, which, of course, I get into it now, uh, the same month that Fantasy Flight Games announces that they're going to do a third edition of the game called Descent Legends of the Dark. All right. Uh, is it something you could play, you know, solo or, or with the second player? Or do you need to have a team of... Uh... Regrettably... People. Regrettably, no. Uh, there, mm. it, it does not handle solo play, but it is, uh, it is, uh, it goes from two to five players, but what's, it's, it's a, it's an adventure game. So one player is always like the, the, is the overlord, this like sort okay. of villain. 
And their job is to sort of buff monsters and control the monsters and create challenges that prevent the heroes from accomplishing their goal. And of course, the hero's job is to accomplish a goal. And you play it as a series of linked missions with their own maps. So, uh, it, so the game, if you play through it, does tell a coherent story. And unlike a lot of games like this, the heroes can lose, but the game can still advance to the next map. So the heroes losing does not necessarily block progress in the game or make you have to replay another installment. And, and it's, and it's just generally sort of very, very flexible and fun. It kind of boils down everything you might expect to do in like a, a straightforward Dungeons and Dragons game, just in, into a board game. So like, um, some of these games, you know, the instruction manuals are kind of obtuse and you have to watch two hour YouTube videos to figure out how to play it. Was this one pretty straightforward? Overall, I find it to be pretty straightforward. Like uh, the a uh, game that that is very similar to it, which uh, I may talk about in a future episode, is uh, Undercity, which is the Iron Kingdoms board game. Mm. I I had to watch a video to really get the flow of Undercity. I didn't for Descent. the The Descent the rulebook is really is pretty clear and straightforward. And <clears throat> one thing that I think helped. Uh, is that it actually has two rule books. One rule book is just the oh. core rules and principles of the game. And then the other rule book is everything you need for the missions and quests. So that division of information makes makes it pretty user friendly. Is this a game that had uh, expansions for it or no? Oh, it had many expansions. Okay. It had expansions that added new quests, and new heroes, new monsters. It's a game with a lot of support. I don't know if I'll really be getting into those at all, uh, but because the 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 core the core game is a pretty thorough experience on its own. <clears throat> but but if if you're the type of person who likes collecting everything, <laughs> there is a lot to collect. Well, there you go. And as they're doing the new versions, do they have to port forward the expansions, or do the old stuff work with the new game? I, I suspect they will, because Descent, the first edition of Descent Journeys into Dark, when the second edition came out, they sold a conversion kit that sort of lets you take all the stuff you had for the first edition, or most of it at least, and make it work in the second edition. I suspect they're going to do the same here. Fantasy Flight Games has been pretty good with releasing tools that make it possible to use your old stuff with the newer version of the game. They recently did that with uh, their X-Wing Starfighter game, which I talked about on uh, In Trouble Again, the Star Wars Droids podcast. So I, I suspect there's a very good chance that's going to happen again here. Well, there you go. No, that sounds interesting. There's a lot of different things um, out there and that you found one that was pretty straightforward, even though being a second edition is to be commended. It can often be, uh, not that I <laughs> had the chance to go into a gaming store in a while with oh, the yeah. pandemic, but it's uh, can be often intimidating. You go in and you see so many games on the shelves, and some of them look expensive, some of them don't. I mean, we, we took our, our nephew once, and the game he wanted was this terrible thing they had. I mean, it might be an okay game, but I wouldn't buy it for a child, where the game was like, put pieces of plastic in a fake toilet and it would shoot stuff at your face. I think I have seen that. Uh, yes. In a store somewhere. And I could see why it appealed to a child or perhaps even teenagers, but it was like, that's what you have. <laughs> of course, if like a kid's going to see that, he's going to want that. <laughs> we didn't get it for him. We got him something else, but it was just still one of those things. 
Oh, very good. Okay, so next time we're going to look at the, uh, you know, Sierra's uh, first kind of licensed adventure game. We're not going to really count their educational games. With The Dark Crystal, this is a movie, you know, we're all familiar with. And uh, to see how they do it as an adventure game should be interesting. I I recall in some interviews, Roberta Williams talked a bit of shit about the movie and considered her game to be superior. Well, we'll see, I guess. Uh, Yes. And oddly enough, you know, they did two different versions of this game that I guess we'll try and touch on in the same episode. They did a version called Gelfling Adventure that basically ported the original but made it as a choose-your-own-adventure thing for younger players. That's an interesting angle. And to tie into the Dark Crystal prequel series, which unfortunately got canceled on Netflix after only one season. Oh, um, I was so disappointed. Wasn't it? Because they're trying to set up a big thing at the end. Uh, They are doing a... uh, They did a version of the Dark Crystal game online with better graphics of this year game. So that's... um, and when we watched um, the, the Netflix series, something uh, Aviana said, and I thought it was a good point, is it's like, why would he do a prequel Games of Thrones thing? Isn't it more interesting to go after the movie and see what happens when you have the uh, great conjunction? Well, like in the, ca- well, in, in the case of Game of Thrones, uh, and, and it's funny you mention that because I've been reading, I think it's called like Blood and Iron or Blood and Steel, this oh, yes. like Game of yep. Thrones spinoff that's like an in-world history book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of moments in that history that, that I think would make a great series or movie, but to the point, it just reminds me of how much bigger the world of Game of Thrones is than just what we saw in that series, despite all its series, all its seasons. Do you know there's a continent of dinosaurs in that world? No. And there's a goddamn continent of dinosaurs. eh. I want to see that. Yeah. Well, I mean that the author, George R.R. Martin, wasn't able to finish the book series in the time it took to do what seven series of an HBO television show is, um, you know, he's a busy man. Uh, but at the same time, people have been a bit spooked, uh, kind of like, uh, and he's getting older and all these things, you know, people are getting a bit spooked, like with, uh, the, uh, Robert Jordan, right. The author of uh, wheel of time. Oh yeah. Yes. When, uh, as the guy was dying, he was furiously dictating outlines for the last book, which another author ended up finishing. It was Brandon Sanderson did that. Yep. And I heard he did a good job for what it's worth. But, um, but yeah, it's the Dark Crystal, you know. It, man, I, I wish they would have renewed that series. Netflix is kind of weird in how they seem to like to cancel stuff after one or two seasons for no good reason. Well, but streaming I streaming services, the executives at streaming services are now just as bad as the executives for networks, but just in a completely different way. Yes. And I think what we're, what we've seen um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic is shows initially got renewed for a new season, like drunk history. And then they proceed to get canceled <laughs> because they don't want to put in the money to do it when they could, I don't know, invest in animation instead and do more non-union stuff that's cheaper or that's easier to produce during these uh, these odd times. And at the same time, I've seen creative stuff going on, like with Oprah, Win- Oprah Winfrey uh, has a talk show, and she did an episode with Obama recently, and they filmed it on green screen, but they're all on separate couches, and then they use uh, compositing to make it look like they're sitting together. Huh. That sort of works in spite of itself. The, the thing, the thing that kind of, infuri- I mean, it, it infuriates me on a number of levels. Uh, the the canceling the, the the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, 
because I like I was I was skeptical when that was announced, but I did watch the series and found and found it just to be truly truly wonderful. But I figured, well, of course it's going to get a second season. It'll be so much cheaper now that all the puppets and sets are built. Yeah, and uh, exactly. Not to mention you have a workflow of people that are used to working with these things now. That that, that was disappointing. Well, the one that really also like me off is glow. Yes, and with um. I mean, Jim Henson is getting some work with the Disney stuff, but like, I don't think the Muppet Show on Disney Plus is very good. It's 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 trying to, I don't know, well, like it's just well, very it's, formulaic and it's it's only it's only it's only six episodes. They have some bits that work really really well, and they have some bits that that don't really work at all. But everything lingers a bit too long. I wish there was a bit more quick cut so that you could fit a few more sketches in there. Yeah, and, but the at Miss the same Piggy time, you know, interview stuff is okay. The cooking show stuff I think works very well with the Swedish Chef and the turkey. Yeah, it's great when there's a guest you can play off with. I love that. I love mm-hmm. the one with Danny Trejo. And when Danny Trejo, yes. you think he's going to say something really violent, but then he turns it into something really romantic. And you can clearly tell he was about to say something awful, but then you realized, oh, wait, I'm on a show with the puppets. I better think of yes. something else to say. But it works really well. Definitely. So, um, yeah, next time we'll talk about the dark high-res adventure number six, The Dark Crystal. And after that, we'll be on the King's Quest. I mean, can you believe it? It's... Uh... Finally, King's Quest. In a journey, but yeah, King's Quest, the, the OG. The, the first one with Quest in the name, a name that they would own for the next decade and a half. Right. It's uh, really quite something to see. I mean, that original King's Quest game was advertised. It's like a 3D. It's like you're controlling a computer. And I, I recall showing it to one of my stepbrothers when he was pretty young. And he just laughed his ass off at the graphics. Oh, you know what? I'll talk about it more when we get to it. But what I do find really charming are those early Sierra walk cycles of their characters. Yes, and how to to make the game not take it two years for you to walk across the screen. You have to pump up the speed. But on the other hand, that can make you get killed rather quickly by a monster in the next screen over. And then sometimes the game has a bug related to its speed. <laughs> Uh, yes, and that, if, that would happen in the SVGA era of Sierra games a lot. Yeah, there's a, a timing bug with Gabriel Knight that I think got fixed with a fan patch or something where you you had to turn on the heat to get Mosley to take off his jacket. No, you had to turn up the air conditioning to get Mosley to... No, he's turn up the heat, the detective takes off his jacket, then you have to steal the something from inside the jacket. But it's time based on the processor of your machine. Oh dear. But yes, there's a lot of fun things like that in Sierra Games we'll cover in the years to come on Sierra Quest. Uh, follow, uh, check out episodes of the show, sequelcast2.com. Um, follow me on Twitter at MAT at WBT uh, Thrasher. And follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. So for uh, Sierra Quest, this is Matt. <laughs> and this is Thrasher. Saying. A Cossack appears. Kings and knights. <laughs>